Hi, my name's Sean Calloway. I am part owner of the Brookshire Farms Agar Entertainment Pumpkin Adventure Farm out here. What? Agar Entertainment. This is KCBX Central Coast Public Radio. I'm Father Ian Dellinger, and I'm playing with food. Raise your hand if you've heard of Agra Entertainment. Higher, higher, I can't see any hands. My hand isn't raised either. Just when I thought playing with food had covered just about every aspect of food on the Central Coast, I'm presented with Agra Entertainment. I know nothing about it, so I'm going to skip my usual introduction and let Sean Calloway, an agri-entertainment business owner, do that for me. So agri-entertainment is where farmers have put together entertainment items and adventures that relate to agriculture, have some type of tie into agriculture, but helps keep the farm alive by bringing in income so that they can charge and, and actually have a revenue coming off of entertainment from the farm. Does it have an educational aspect? It does. Everything that we do has some sort of education. You can learn about how food's processed and grown, what it's grown for. We have an item that's called duck races. It's an old-fashioned water pump. It's how we used to get our water back in the early 1900s. You would have to pump your water out of the ground with these things. Well, now we race little duckies with it, rubber ducks. We have a corn box. It's full of two and a half tons of corn, which is almost 5,000 pounds. It's corn kernels, but you can play in it. And it's really a cool sensory thing. Checkers with pumpkins. We do other roping and old fashioned teeter-totter made out of tractor parts. So it's stuff like that, that what we do and build out here. We have educational signs that tell little stories about corn, pumpkins, bees, flowering, gardening, things that people don't realize, chickens, rabbits. We have education signs at our animal area where they can educate themselves on like a lot of people think that a chicken will lay an egg every single day, sometimes two or three. I've had people tell me 10. A chicken will only lay an egg every 25 hours, only about four to five days a week. The corn maize is grown for silage corn. It's not sweet corn, but there's many uses to that. A lot of them use it for alcohol, gasoline now, ethanol, for corn syrups. But what it's mainly used for is dairy feed, which feeds the cows, which produces milk, which is not just something you get to the grocery store. It actually comes from a cow. The area we're looking at is our pumpkin patch. And this is the introduction into the farm. I would say that there's probably 85% of these pumpkins are edible. There are certain pumpkins, the warty ones and stuff, that are not as edible. Uh, they're pretty tough. And not all orange pumpkins make the best pumpkin pie. A lot of people think so, but there's hybrids. Um, we have these red ones that are called Cinderella's. They are one of the better pie pumpkins. This one we just picked this morning right here called the Fairy Tail. They will turn a tan color. They're a dark green right now when they're ripe. Very creamy, very, very yummy type of pumpkin. Cooked down, uh, you can make a good puree with it and make it for your breads and your cookies and stuff. The pinks, porcelain dolls, white aluminas, then there's the reds, which are the Cinderella's, and then we have the blues, which are baby dolls. Uh, we have Jardales. Those are all very edible squash pumpkins. Now, the bigger pumpkins out there, the orange ones with big stems and stuff, they're very stringy. So they're really not a good eating pumpkin. They could be used for that, but they're not really that good. The little stuff over there in the far end of the farm there where the bed is, those are different little ones. They're called cannonballs, pranksters, iron sides, field trips. These are all different sizes. And a lot of those are really good for pie pumpkins. But we do actually carry a cinnamon girl, a New England pie pumpkin, and those are actually designed and grown texture and the skin 
inside the flesh is all designed for pumpkin pies. I had no idea there were so many different types of pumpkins. <laughs> I think there's, last time I checked, about 250 varieties of pumpkins. We carry about 75. We grow about 10 to 15% of our specialty stuff here. We grow 95% of our produce here. And then we grow in three other spots. We're growing in San Miguel. We're growing out on Highway 1 towards the men's colony. It's a way different climate out there. We grow in Tascadero at our house there. And now we're growing in Creston. And then we actually purchase product because we can't grow enough. So my little pumpkin story is I used to live in Britain. I lived there so long ago that you could not get a can of pumpkin pie filling unless you went to a specialty store where it costs, you know, we're talking 20 years ago, it would cost the equivalent of $7. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. So what I would have to do is all through October, they would have pumpkins in the grocery store. I would buy a pumpkin in the grocery store and I would roast it, puree it, then freeze it, thaw it and strain it, and then freeze it again, thaw and strain it because it's right. wet and then by thanksgiving <laughs> i would have something that was vaguely the consistency of a canned pumpkin pie filling so i have made pumpkin pie out of jack-o'-lantern pumpkins and it was fine yeah it can be done but you've got so much water these other varieties i'm telling you about have the color they have the texture and they're about an eighth of the amount of water it's in them that is going to condense down and create that problem that you were having can you show me how the agri-entertainment works? Yep, let's go. Yeah, everything um, that we try and experience out here is to educate people what agriculture is about and related to agriculture in some sort of fashion. You know, some things are just fun to do and have a little agricultural type stuff and others are activities that actually tie in really well for that. We have over here the roping, you can see the steer heads. You get to actually sit on a saddle. It's no food related, but it's agriculture related. Mm -hmm. On to the left over here, this is a corn box. This okay. is a big sandbox filled full of corn kernels. It is a sensory thing. It's really unique and different. You get to go in here and play sandbox in a corn pile. All this corn will get recycled and sent in for cow feed or chicken feed or duck feed for goats or cattle, and they will finish out their animals for slaughter with this feed. What we're heading towards is our hay maze. We have almost 600 bales of straw. It is a grain crop. It is baled up and then we turn it into a maze for the kids. The straw, all of it goes to erosion control, to enhancing gardens and ground conditions. You're listening to Issues and Ideas on KCBX Public Radio for the Central Coast. I'm Father Ian, exploring the world of agri-entertainment. I'm learning a lot too, and I'm about to be schooled on straw. What is straw? What's the difference between straw and hay? Hay is grown for a flavor and a nutrition value. Straw is grown for the top grain part of that value. Your oats, barley, your wheat, that is what straw is. Pod grows up on top where the seed is. It is dried to a certain level and then they cut it, it's separated, and the byproduct, which is the straw, gets kicked out. Straw has a nutritional value for animal feed, but not much but it's really a solid matter that will help keep erosion down and helps break these heavy adobes apart. It also adds organic matter into your ground, which allows your vegetables to grow even better because it provides the nitrogen and, and organic matters into your uh, soil to loosen it up and your product will grow a lot better.
Oh, okay. I had absolutely no idea that that's what straw was. I accidentally grew wheat in my backyard. Long story. So I can see actually what you're talking about in terms of it being the stem of the wheat because right. I went out and I cut off the tops of it. But I have these sticks still in my backyard right. that you say is straw. And a lot of straw these days, it's not only used for bedding, but the dairy units will actually chop it up even finer and they'll mix it with other grains and molasses and other alfalfa green grasses, that type of stuff. And they will mix it all together and make a feed for their dairy cows. And it's more of a filler is what it's considered versus a actual protein product. Hay has the value, it has the seed in it, and then the cows and or animals will eat both the straw stick or the hay stick and the seed pod, and they will get value out of all that. So this is a garden that we grow here. This is all summer long, and it's sectioned off into six plantings right now. What you're looking at or what we're standing at is the very first section we grew. You can see how things are kind of died back. Cherry tomatoes up there, there's still a lot on the vine, but we moved on to the next group. And I plant in layers. So I started with my cucumbers because they take the longest. And then we put in tomatoes, then green beans, then we went with squash, and then we started with cucumbers again, then green beans. The green beans are missing, that's why you don't see them. And that's because I pull like these plants over here and then I feed them to our goats at home. Squash, you can't keep planting squash in the same area so what I do is I take a pitcher and next year that squash will be moved either up or down so that it doesn't stay in the same ground because it creates a fungus-like soil-borne fungus in the root systems and it will kill my squash plants if you plant long enough here. Pumpkins are the same way. You really can only plant maybe no more than two times in the same area, and then you've got to let it sit for three to five years. Oh, wow. And if you plant there three or four times, you're going to seven, eight years to let it go dormant and kind of just sterilize the soil again and start. So this garden is not very big. As a farmer, how do you make any money out of a garden this small? So this isn't really a small garden. This is actually producing enough to probably feed 80 to 100 families every week. It doesn't look that big, but it's amazing what you can produce with a good crop. We've had six rotations in here, so we're on our last planting down there on the lower end. That'll be ready in two weeks. We're picking this one right above it, and then there's another one, another one, another one, another one. You know, when we first open up our farm stand, we are selling product, and it's very light, so I don't want to overproduce. We do give some to some of the charities around here that look for food donations and stuff, but usually we are planting just about enough of what we can maintain and sell. We have a farm stand here on our farm that we open up it is not a money maker okay this is the love of the community this is the love of Gretchen myself my wife and I that do this we make enough money to maintain it but we don't make a profit or a living on this if this was a profit or living it would be six times as bigger and we'd be outreaching to different areas we provide people with a clean non-sprayed non-fertilized product. If you look way down there in the very bottom, you see a field of plants. Mm -hmm. That is a one acre of winter squash. We had an 85% malfunction down there. The weather's been really bad this year. Yes, we got a lot of rain. It was too wet to plant too early. And then we've had no heat. So plants like water, sunlight, and heat. We've had water, but not the sunlight and the heat. So I've had a failure and I've lost 85% of my crop down there. As you see in the between the two, there's another bunch of leaves down here and you can see the white tinge to it. Guess what that is? That's powdery mildew. And that has been just inundating my stuff left and right. Remember we had that little hurricane tropical storm come through a couple weeks ago? That's what created a lot of it. 
instantly. See, and we don't spray for it, so it polluted everything and it's carrying through. You can see how. So this is our last plantings right here. This is where we're still harvesting peppers and tomatoes. My cucumbers have taken a big fry. The powdery mildews hit the squash pretty big, but they're still squash harvesting. These green beans we picked yesterday. He's gonna try one here. Mm -hmm. One day of watering, they swell up and they're really good. So that is fresh off the plant. You can't get a better flavor, fresher green bean. And it's not like buying in a store and there's nothing to it except the natural air that we've got and breathing. This is the next planting of tomatoes. I have about 200 pepper plants in of different varieties. Another row of tomatoes. Now what's interesting here is this row of tomatoes that you're seeing, that's all volunteers from last year that came up somewhere in the garden. Oh wow. And then we just planted one full row of it because we had so many different volunteer tomato plants. So we don't know what we're going to get out of there. We could get heirlooms, cherries, slicers, we don't know. And I should have sweet corn at my other locations available all the way up to November 1st too, which is really difficult to do because the shorter days and the colder nights start making sweet corn go bad. You're listening to Issues and Ideas on KCBX Public Radio for the Central Coast. I'm Father Ian with the Playing with Food team with Sean Calloway on a farm between Los Osos and San Luis Obispo that's all about agri-entertainment, a way for those city kids to learn that food doesn't just come from the grocery store. You said this is for the community, and we're also talking about the agri-entertainment. Do the people who come here, do they do anything with this garden? So we don't allow them in here too much to pick. I will take groups of people who ask questions, and I educate them. We do field trips here, and the field trips, we educate them with this garden. We don't let a lot of U-Pick go on because what happens with U-Picks, they destroy our plants. Mm -hmm. You have about a 30% waste in U-Pick type operations. People come in and think they can just eat everything they want and then go home and buy a little basket. Well, that's product that's costing money, and so that's why U-Picks are kind of falling back a little bit because there's so many people that take advantage of it, and they don't realize how much money and effort and work goes involved into all this. It's costing us close to a dollar a pound to pick a string bean, just to pick it. And that has nothing to do with growing it or maintaining it or the seed or anything else. The field trips are a really big thing. This is one of our rotational areas. We do a hayride that talks about corn and how corn's grown and how it pollinates versus how a honeybee pollinates our pumpkins. And then we give them a honey stick and show them how the bees operate. We ask questions and educate them that. The second rotation is basically gardening and they get to pick some stream beans and they get to pick some items and, and eat them fresh off the things, which is super great because a lot of people don't know what a fresh stream bean or a fresh tomato tastes like out of the garden. If you come down here, we have a lot of these educational signs. This is a sign that says, learn about corn. Corn's a big commodity of our world. You cannot really buy a product anymore without some sort of corn syrup, corn in it, corn starch. It is tied to almost everything in our world. I, believe it or not, am somewhat allergic to it. My and brother's allergic to corn too. <laughs> it actually flares an arthritis that I'm starting to develop. So I have learned to come off of corn. Now fresh corn doesn't bother me as much as corn syrups like in, in our sodas and other things that you eat. Some of the things that says, how does it grow? Stalks will grow typically one to two ears will develop. So people don't know that a corn stalk only gives one dominant ear and a second ear is usually the weaker one and doesn't get picked. Now this corn maze is almost four acres and we planted about 800,000 seeds in here. We probably took out 10 to 15 percent of that. You know, if we're at 600,000, there's 600,000 ears of corn at the minimum in here. But this will get chopped, sent to Cal Poly's dairy unit, and they will use it for silage. 
couple other things that we talk about is the bushels and sweeteners and a bushel of corn can sweeten 325 cans of soda pop. There's over 400 uses it tells you here. So this is some of the things that we try and educate. We have these signs all over the farm how pumpkins grow, how sunflowers grow. So when I do my field trip, that's usually the first things I start asking the kids is, is who likes corn and then what kind. And I have the kids try and name off corn and they don't realize that sodas is corn and alcohol for motor vehicles is corn, even alcohol for drinking is corn. So where did Sean come up with this? I'm not an agricultural graduate. This is a learn by doing. This is a family history of stuff that I used to do as a small scales. And I've only stepped it up a couple steps. I am not a big commercial farmer. This is small farming, but we are still feeding a lot of people out here. And pumpkins is really more entertainment, but there are a lot of people who come out here and we educate them on exactly what needs to be purchased for that type of product to cook your pumpkin pie with and they come back year after year because they had such success with it. And what's really difficult to say is I think we're in America spoiled to a certain degree because I couldn't produce enough pumpkin sales to be able to live on. This is one part of the group. The food is not something I could sell enough product. I guess I could if I went huge. The agri-entertainment is what generates the money for us to be able to keep all this alive but it's still agricultural tie-in. And that's what's fun. The corn maze we just left, it's a fun maze. That's almost four acres, and it's got about three miles of trail in it. It is a professionally cut done process with a game in it, so you have to go for a search and rescue to look for these signs and search and hunt, and families can get together. We do it at nighttime on a few weekends, and, and it's a whole different experience at night as it is in the daytime. But you're using agriculture, corn, as a game and fun and entertainment. And a lot of people don't realize how sharp corn is when they're in there because they can get cut on it if they're not careful. And then how ears develop and how it's all put together. So they get to see that when they're walking through. And a lot of comments are made with people walking through the corn. That's how we use entertainment to coincide with our foods and then profits. Because if we didn't have the entertainment, we wouldn't be able to stay here. There's not enough money in it. Agri-entertainment as a way to keep community farming alive. But it's also a way to educate people about where their food comes from and where the crops go. California is the largest agricultural state in the union, with 43% of our land used for agriculture. That's 43 million acres, 16 million acres for grazing, and 27 million acres for crops, according to the California Department of Food and Agriculture. That's larger than the state of Washington. Worryingly, we're losing 40,000 acres of agricultural land each year to urban development. We feed the country. On a lighter note, I bought the pumpkin of choice for making pies and set myself the task. Roasting the pumpkin and making the puree was indeed much easier than my previous experiences with jack-o'-lantern pumpkins. There was a lot of water, but most of it seeped out during the roasting. And then I put the puree in a cotton towel in a sieve over a bowl and put it into the fridge overnight. The texture was perfect for pie making, and I had enough puree for three pies. I took my pie to L.A. to share with my sister and her family. I made this pumpkin pie from a pumpkin from a pumpkin patch. I roasted the pumpkin, and then I pureed the pumpkin, and I got the water off the pumpkin, and I made the famous canned pumpkin pie recipe with that pumpkin. So let me know what you think. I'm very excited about this so because I. I think that pumpkin pie from a real pumpkin is about as good as it gets.
Hmm. Oh my god. Delicious. Hmm. I have not had pumpkin pie like that in so long. How's the texture? Because that's the thing about this pumpkin. It's like the whole thing is about the texture. Right. Oh, it's, yeah. It's oh. really nice. It's chiffon-y. Chiffon-y. Mm. Like chiffon. Chiffon. Perfect chiffon. Yeah. Fabulous. It's really nice. I feel like it's not necessarily the texture. Like to me, that's the taste. Really? Like, like yeah. Can you not? I mm. feel like that tastes distinctly more pumpkiny than other pumpkin pies that I've more recently had. Mmm. But maybe that's just the effect of being told that it's made from a real pumpkin. Like, maybe I'm... Yeah, I shouldn't have told you that first. Yeah. <laughs> Outstanding, Father Ian. <laughs> Agra Entertainment is not only fun and educational, it's delicious. This is KCBX Public Radio for the Central Coast. I'm Father Ian, and I'm playing with food.